Welcome to California Groundbreakers, a place that sets trends, starts movements, and shakes up how things are done around the world. We're inviting interesting people doing innovative things to sit down and talk with us about how they're asking and answering the big questions facing all Californians. Our goal is to inspire change across the state, one conversation at a time. Election 2018 is in full swing, and now is the time to figure out how you're going to vote. For this edition of our politics-focused series, Policy and a Pint, we're taking a look at Proposition 6, about repealing last year's gas tax and requiring voter approval for all transportation-related tax increases in the future. Last year, lawmakers passed a bill to raise the state tax on gasoline for the first time in over 20 years and introduce a new car fee in order to fund repairs to our rough roads, repair infrastructure, and create new transit projects. But Republicans and other anti-tax advocates put Proposition 6 on the ballot, saying that Californians already pay some of the highest taxes in the nation, including gas taxes, and that lawmakers should be forced to trim government spending and improve efficiency before asking us drivers for more money. We're at Antiquity Midtown Sacramento to have a discussion with panelists who are giving us the straight talk on Proposition 6 and what it will mean if you vote yay or nay on it. So hi everyone, welcome to California Groundbreakers. We're a civic engagement organization focused on innovators doing groundbreaking things around the state of California. My name is Vanessa Richardson and I'm the executive director of California Groundbreakers and I wanna say welcome. Um, tonight we're holding one of our Policy in a Pint events. That's our monthly discussion on politics, policy, everything coming out of the Capitol that affects you and me as taxpayers, as voters, as residents. And this year obviously is a great one for these type of events because it is an election year. And we're taking a look uh, in September and October on um, ballot initiatives uh, that we're looking at. Uh, we're gonna be looking at one of the races, the Superintendent of Public Instruction in, uh, next week. And we basically don't consider these debates. We consider them discussions, conversations with panelists, whether they're for a proposition, against a proposition, neutral, the goal is to have them tell us the straight talk on local statewide propositions and races and what it means if you vote yay or nay on each. This evening, uh, the overarching uh, title for this evening is how are you gonna vote on taxes? We're, be, we're gonna look at one statewide ballot initiative tonight and then we're also looking at a local Sacramento-focused ballot initiative but they're both focused on taxes and what to do about voting in a tax, repealing a tax. So that takes me into the introduction for uh, this discussion right now. We're looking at Proposition 6. And it's about repealing uh, the gas tax that was enacted last year. We did do a policy and a pint event last year on this on November 1st when the gas tax kicked in. And it was a really great discussion. It was just, it was the day the gas tax had started. Um, and even then in that discussion, I remember there was talk about how that, that gas tax may not be set in stone. There may be something coming up in 2018 where we're gonna take another look at it and may have a vote on it. And obviously uh, that happened, sure enough. Uh, I looked at Ballotpedia today and I see that uh, Proposition 6 has raised 36 million both for 
and against it uh, to date in terms of um, uh, the opposition and the, the, the uh, proponents for Prop 6. So obviously it is a, a very hot topic. And I've read a lot of newspaper articles about how Proposition 6 has impacted other election races around California. So to me, it seems like it's a big deal. It's not only about the future of California's roads, bridges, and transportation infrastructure overall, but how it may affect voter turnout and the voting results for many congressional campaigns statewide. So to me, it seems like a really interesting discussion we're going to have. Um, before we get started, I want to give a few special thanks to people who made this event possible. We're here in the lovely Antiquity Midtown uh, venue uh, in Midtown Sacramento, so I want to give a special thanks to uh, the owners and our hosts, Sharon Wilson and Marcy Hose. I also want to give a special thanks to uh, the person who made the, the beer possible uh, here tonight, Roostaller Beer, and J.E. Pano, the owner of Roostaller Beer. I also want to give a thanks to our volunteer who's pouring the beer and checking people in, Rodrigo Ramirez. Thank you very much. Obviously, I want to thank the panelists for coming and taking time out of a very busy election uh, campaign time to come, and of course, to you, the audience, for coming out and coming to listen. The event format for this is going to be 30 minutes more or less of my asking the questions and then 30 minutes of the audience here at Antiquity going to the mic and asking their questions. I don't introduce the panelists. I think they do a great job introducing themselves. So besides asking your name and your current role in organization, I always like to ask a personal question so we get to little, know a little bit more about you. And I figured since we're gonna be talking about transportation and roads, I thought a good one would be for each of you uh, to tell us what your favorite road trip is around California. Day trip, weekend trip, up and down, east, east west, uh, what's your favorite uh, uh, driving path through California? So let me start with the lady on my left. Thank you so much. Uh, my name is Kiana Valentine. I'm a senior legislative representative with the California State Association of Counties, uh, a local nonprofit advocacy organization here in Sacramento that represents California's 58 counties before the state legislature and federal government. Uh, my favorite trip happens to be straight down Highway 5 because it lands me at my parents' house in Apple Valley, California. So it may not be the most beautiful drive, uh, it may not be the most interesting drive, but at the end of the day, I end up uh, at my dad and mom's and my sister's house, so that's always a great road trip for me. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is David Wolf. I'm the legislative director at the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association tonight, representing the yes on Proposition 6 side. I've been at Howard Jarvis for the last 12 years now, um, you know, as their legislative director, lobbyist, face in the Capitol. We're most known for Proposition 13, which passed 40 years ago this year. Um, which capture property taxes, and we generally fight for uh, lower taxes, property rights, and limited government. And my favorite road trip, well, actually, my next road trip, let's just do that. I got married eight months ago, and uh, we're gonna, my wife and I are going to go up to Fort Bragg. It'll be her first trip uh, north of Sacramento, so we're, we're definitely looking forward to that. That's going to be a great trip and, and good weather. All right, so 
Kiana, I wanted to start with you. Um, I feel like a lot of the propositions on the ballot always have a good, interesting backstory about why they're there. And I feel like with this one, which we talked about uh, last year, actually, we did a policy and a pint topic on the gas tax when it passed on November 1st. It was connected to uh, uh, Senate Bill 1. And I... I know that that passed, obviously the gas tax passed, and then now we have Proposition 6. So I thought I would ask you to give us a, a primer or a primer on Senate Bill 1, you know, what was the backstory in that, that got on the ballot, and then led us to Proposition Proposition 6. Um, what is the gas tax, or Senate Bill 1, interchangeably, designed to do, what it taxes, what the money is earmarked for? So just an overall view. Uh, great place to start. I think understanding the history of transportation funding in the state and quite frankly in the nation is such a critical thing for uh, voters to contemplate when considering uh, how they will cast their vote on Proposition 6. Uh, so before we turn to what SB1, uh, what taxes and fees are included uh, and how those monies are allocated, let's chat a little bit about why we needed SB1 in the first place. And this is something that uh, I have worked on. I've been, um, interestingly enough, with my organization for just about 12 years now, too. And in 2006, cities and counties reported to their statewide associations that they saw revenues declining. They could not keep up with the types of road projects that they needed in their communities. And they wanted us to figure out a solution to that. How big is the problem? Is it consistent throughout California? And so we ventured out uh, and did um, the 2008 California Statewide Local Streets and Roads Needs Assessment. And it looked to answer, what is the condition of local streets and roads, how much money we have to address the infrastructure issues in those same jurisdictions, and what is the funding shortfall that we're facing in order to maintain, build, and provide a safe and efficient transportation network. Uh, the result of that study found that on average condition, pavement conditions, infrastructure conditions in cities and counties across the state were at risk. Uh, and that's sort of a technical categorization, but what I can tell you is that means as a pavement declines, the, the older the pavement gets, the faster it deteriorates and the more it costs to repair it. Oftentimes you hear folks um, say it's similar to a leaky roof. Are you going to patch your hole or are you going to rebuild the roof 20 years after neglect? That sort of um, uh, connection. And uh, so that roads were at risk and if we didn't infuse new money into the system they were only going to get worse and that the funding shortfall at that time was 71 billion dollars over the next 10 years and that's just for local streets and roads Bridges, counties and cities own about 50% of the state's bridges, and we have a lot of bridges in California, uh, as well as essential components like sidewalks, street lights, um, bike lanes, all of those things that we depend on uh, that sort of complement and make a complete transportation system. Uh, at the time that we started debating uh, Prop, or uh, I'm sorry, SB1 in earnest, which was actually in 2015, Senator Bell introduced an initiative, SB16, that was sort of the first official vehicle that we saw in the legislature. Uh, the state had a backlog of $59 billion for a, over a 10-year period to bring the state highway system into a good condition. And so that's a combined $130 billion funding shortfall over a decade. That 
was sort of eye-opening even for me who had been working in this for quite some time. And so really that, I think, public policy problem was the thing that brought the legislature and the governor together to debate, negotiate, and ultimately pass SB1. Um, I think it's also important to um, talk with folks about the reasons for that $130 billion shortfall, and I suspect David and I have differing opinions on what got us there. Uh, but it's my analysis that the main reason for the shortfall was revenues weren't simply keeping pace with inflation and some of our technological advances. Uh, I like to re um, remind myself when I first, I got my first car, it was a 1981 Chevy Camaro, 20 variations of primer gray. This thing was a beauty. And I think I got 12 miles to the gallon. Now my brand new RAV4 hybrid gets on average 30 miles to the gallon. I drive, my driving patterns haven't really changed that much, honestly, since I was a teenager. So I'm doing the same amount of damage to the roadway system, but I'm only paying a third of what I used to pay. So uh, I think that that is the main culprit behind our funding crisis. 50%, uh, the purchasing power of our existing gas tax, which was last raised in 1994, has decreased by 50% just due to inflation and fuel efficiency. That's not even considering that construction materials have gotten more expensive, population. I also like to remind folks we are the fifth largest economy in the world. We have some of the most major ports in the entire nation here. And those trucks going in and out of those ports, those are the things, those are the vehicles that do the most damage to our state. So I think those are the real reasons that we had to find an SB1. So what does SB1 do? Uh, raises through a very uh, variation of taxes and fees over $5 billion annually for transportation. Uh, there is the 12 cent gas tax increase that everyone likes to say Prop 6 is about, but in my opinion, Prop 6 is so much more than that. Uh, quick note that 12 cents was very purposeful. That just gets us back to the purchasing power that we had in 1994. 12 cents is the amount that it would be had we increased for inflation and fuel efficiency and those other things since 1994. 20 cent diesel tax increase. There was a, a small increase in the sales, the diesel sales tax. A transportation improvement fee that is paid uh, once a year, just like your vehicle registration, and is uh, anywhere from $25 to $175 based on the value of your car. Again, that was very purposeful. A gas tax is known notoriously as a more regressive tax, so it was purposeful to try to mitigate some of that regressivity with a uh, fee that charged more for the value of your car. Uh, and then finally, my favorite part about SB1, uh, although I drive, I hope to drive an electric vehicle one day, is the zero emission vehicle fee that those cars will start having to pay, trying to address the free rider system. I think there are lots of reasons to drive an electric car. There are plenty of financial benefits, but those cars do the exact same damage as a car using gas and need to pay for the infrastructure they're on. Um, so all of those programs collectively go to state highways, $1.5 billion for investment into our state highways. 
$1.5 billion. This is, maybe this is my first favorite part of SB1. The, the zero emission vehicle might be my second. $1.5 billion directly subvented to cities and counties. So those are monies that go monthly out to every single in city and county for investment in the local street and road system. There is $300 million for bridges. There's $750 million annually for transit. There's about combined $450 million annually for congested corridors and goods movement projects. So um, uh, $100 million for active transportation. That's a doubling of a state's investment in bicycle and pedestrian infrastructure. So it really had a little bit of everything for all sorts of transportation in the state. Uh, I will uh, finish with this. Uh, I don't mean to take up too much time, but I want to be comprehensive. SB1 also included new transparency and accountability provisions like this state, and I don't think any state that I'm aware of has ever seen before. So for instance, in order for a city or a county, so the city of Sacramento or the county of Placer, to access its annual share of SB1 revenues, it must adopt at a public hearing a list of projects it intends to use its money on. Makes sense. Tell the public what their taxpayer dollars are going to support that year. But at the end of the year, then they have to file an expenditure report. So not only are they going to tell you what they're going to spend it on, then they have to tell you what they did spend it on. Did those things match up? Are they meeting the promises that they made to the public? If not, explain yourself. I just think that is a really um, neat aspect of SB1 that I don't want lost on people. Uh, there is an Office of Inspector General at the state level that has been tasked with auditing and improving programs at the state level, uh, some requirements for Caltrans to meet annual efficiencies. So it's not just a tax and fee bill, uh, it is also a policy bill that really does try to make uh, state and local government operate better. So uh, gas tax, diesel tax, vehicle registration fees, a new one for electric vehicles, uh, and uh, anything else there that, that makes up the bulk of spending on transportation that we missed? Uh, that's, the the diesel the main... taxes are an excise tax and a sales tax. Okay, okay. All right, so, so David, um, for Proposition 6, when it, it came on to uh, the ballot, Howard Jarvis came out officially for repealing their in favor of Proposition 6. So I wanted you to tell us uh, why uh, you are against the gas tax. You, wanna, you want uh, Proposition 6 to pass. And also, I guess, well, yeah, let's start with that. Let's do that. Okay. So there's a lot of fees and taxes there, right? Um, and I think when you're talking about Prop 6, that's the most important factor to get out. Um, you know, as was mentioned, 12 cents a gallon increase in the gas tax, 20 cents per gallon increase in the diesel tax, an average $50 increase in the car tax, which could go as high as $140, depending on how new your vehicle is. These are very extremely regressive taxes. Gives us the highest gas and car tax in the nation by far. It's worth noting, even if Prop 6 passes and SB1 is repealed, we would still be in the top five in both categories in gas and car taxes. So even without SB1, we're still paying predominantly more taxes than any other state in the nation, pretty much. Um, and the other thing to mention about Prop 6, which Vanessa touched on, is um, 
Well, actually, there's, there's a couple of things here. First of all, it's not just 12 cents a gallon. Beginning in 2019, because of a gas tax swap and other machinations and how the gas taxes and fees are calculated, it actually bumps up from 12 to 17 cents a gallon. And then it's adjusted for inflation each and every year thereafter. So, um, you know, this is not just a 12 cent per gallon hit. It's going to go up next year, and it's going to go up even higher in the years to come. And also, too, I think what's most important about this is the fact that um, the taxes need to go before voters to decide on any future gas and car tax increases under Proposition 6 need voter approval in the future. And I think that's important because, listen, when Governor Brown ran for office back in 2010, he made it very clear that all taxes approved by the legislature were supposed to go to the ballot for voters to approve. And he violated that pledge that he ran on in 2010 with SB1. He absolutely violated that pledge. And so we think it's important, especially when you're dealing with regressive gas and car taxes, um, that they be voted on by statewide voters. SB1 should have and wasn't, and this is just an opportunity for that to happen. And that's where the cut and paste on my note, I think, came into play, where part of Proposition 6 includes a, um, what you just mentioned, that it will go uh, uh, to the voters versus not to the legislature if there's any uh, change or act action done to gas tax. Is that is that what I missed saying in the beginning? Okay. Okay. Um, so obviously it's been, it's going to be uh, a year uh, on November 1st, that the gas tax has been enacted. I was wondering what's happened in that time uh, in terms of is the money coming in, once the money is coming in, has it already been going out in terms of, of projects? Um, and can you tell us, Kiana, let's start with you, the results to date? Um, and I also wanted to ask in terms of maybe it's not time yet for the, you know, the city of Sacramento or Placer County to give their results, you know, based on expenditure spent. But what would happen if, oops, you know, they they went over or like what would happen? Would they get their hands slapped or could they keep on building? So what would be the um, the the punishment, for lack of a better word, if they are not using that money efficiently like they should be? So that that two part question does that make sense? Okay. Uh, so cities and counties were required to submit to the California Transportation Commission their first expenditure report for the fiscal year 2017-18 on October 1st. However, the commission is still collecting 540 local agency reports, aggregating and analyzing that data. So it's a little early to say on a statewide level just how many projects were started, completed, are multi-year projects. But what I can tell you is that in the first two years, both the 17-18 and 18-19 fiscal years, the project lists that they're required to adopt identified more than 6,500 projects on the local system alone for funding. That is some pent-up need, that if in the first two years, uh, cities and counties are able to identify over 6,500 projects on the local system. Um, I have uh, handouts, which don't help the podcast audience, but I can definitely make links and all of that stuff available. Uh, for anyone interested in the audience, that talks about um, the projects uh, 
funded in the Sacramento region by SB1. Uh, just some quick highlights from this. 152 projects filling potholes and repaving crumbling roads, 30 traffic congestion relief projects, 100 projects improving safety on local streets and roads, 24 projects improving the safety of bridges, 52 project, uh, safety projects for pedestrians and bicyclists. Those are sort of the top lines. And then this fact sheet goes into a lot more specific detail about where in the city and county um, those are happening. So that sort of work is happening across the state. Um, second part of the question, I believe. Um, yes, keeping them to task. Yes, okay. So a little bit more detail on the project list. These aren't meant to be binding, you must do X, Y, and Z, because a lot of variables occur at the local and across the state uh, in any given year. For instance, fire season, the storms that we saw, winter storms in 2017, I believe, those uh, major uh, environmental and sort of disaster events have um, require cities and counties to pivot, especially with respect to uh, transportation infrastructure. And so um, the project lists say this is what we hope to fund. The expenditure reports tell you what you did fund. Um, so they're not, they're not set in stone. You don't have to um, abide by that, but you do need to explain to your constituents what changes you made and why you made them. Uh, you had asked sort of, is there any sort of slap on the hand or punishment? I will say if you don't submit a project list at the beginning of the year, you don't get your money. Uh, there's also longstanding law that the state controller audits on a regular basis every year cities and counties for expenditure of funds to make sure they're within the law and if they're not, then those uh, funds are stopped and I think in some instances required to be repaid if they were misused. And, and David, I wanted to ask you uh, in terms of, you know, um, uh, transparency and, and keeping track of how the money is spent. Uh, I always think about my dad, uh, when he talks about Caltrans, it's like, oh, it's always, you know, uh, six guys standing around a hole with one guy doing the work. Caltrans, how can you trust them to spend the money? I was just, I'm not sure how Howard Jarvis Taxpayer Association feels about Caltrans, but it seems like the fiscal responsibility and prioritizing existing dollars is something that is, uh, you, you discuss and other, and other people do. So I wanted to ask you too, since uh, gas taxes started November 1st, you, have you been taking a look at uh, what's been discussed, how the money is you know, earmarked, and uh, what, your, what you think about how the process is going and the, how that plays into Proposition 6. So in my last answer, you know, I did obviously talk about the regressive nature of the gas and car tax, and I want to come back to that because it is really one of the primary reasons why I think millions of taxpayers are going to vote for Prop 6 and why 800,000 taxpayers ultimately put it on the ballot and sign petitions to put it on the ballot uh, next month. And the simple fact of the matter, ladies and gentlemen, is that we can't afford it. We have the highest income and sales tax in the nation by far right now. We have the highest corporate tax in the Western United States. Thanks to SB1, we have the highest gas and car taxes. 20% of the state, roughly 8 million people, live at or below the poverty line right now. One third of Californians spend half of their take-home pay on rent. 
Only about 25% of the state can afford a median-priced home, which now is over $550,000. 100,000 people leave the state. Net domestic outmigration each and every year, 1.5 million since the year 2000. We are moving in the wrong direction. Um, and $500 a year in gas and car taxes which is about the average, assuming you have a two-car family, is our taxes that individuals can't afford. And it really does come back to that. We don't dispute that our roads need to be repaired and fixed. I don't dispute a $58 billion road maintenance backlog. Okay, We don't dispute that there's problems. You drive down I-80, there's problems. Right? Our roads need to be fixed and repaired. But to get back to Vanessa's question, the issue really is one of priority. Why is the backlog so large? What have politicians been doing for the last 10 or 15 years? And the simple fact of the matter and the answer is they've been neglecting our roads. Listen, the general fund has increased by $40 billion over the last six years, and not one dime of that money has been spent on transportation. There's hundreds of millions of dollars of cap-and-trade funds out there that could be used to repair and maintain our roads and get rid of pollution, money that's not being spent on road repair and maintenance. The legislature 10 years ago diverted a billion dollars a year of truck weight fees, fees that truckers legitimately pay, as they should, because they tear up our roads to repair and maintain our roads. And that money was largely diverted into the general fund. To the extent it was diverted for other transportation purposes, it went to paying off transportation bond debt and high-speed rail. Now, in and of itself, that may or may not be a bad thing, right? But what have voters said? In four different propositions over the last 12 years, they have said they want money from gas and car taxes going to road repair and maintenance. Not high-speed rail, not paying off bond debt. That's where $10 billion of truck weight fees went. That repairs, ladies and gentlemen, a lot of roads. $2 million a day spent on high-speed rail repairs and maintains a lot of roads. So I'll just I'll wait for the next question and, and keep on going maybe with accountability. I don't want to use all my talking points up at the same time. So. Well, I'm also going to ask uh, if, if people in the audience, if you have questions at the mic, uh, you can line up and I'll, I'll ask a question while you're lining up. Um, actually, maybe we already have a question at the mic. So yeah, why don't we start with uh, the gentleman at the mic? Yeah. Hi, Orville Thomas. And you know, this has started to get into a little bit of accountability, affordability in California. But can you point out any section in Prop 6 that forces the gas company to lower the price of tax? So if our gas is going to get cheaper on November 7th, or is it just something that the gas company makes up their own mind? Because Carl DeMaio, during his press club debate, said he trusts big oil more than he trusts the politicians to give us the money back. And call me a skeptic, but I just don't think that that 12 cents will be coming back in my pocket. And I'd rather it be used on roads and bridges and repairing what we need happening. And we should also, just for those who don't know who Carl DeMaio is, kind of a explain who he is. I think he is the main proponent for Proposition 6. And he is, is he uh, down in Southern California? Is he uh, elected official? San Diego. Uh, San Diego. Used to be. Okay. So with that being said, who would like to take that? 
Kiana. I'll hop in first. Um, I don't believe there is anything in Proposition 6 that requires gas prices to go down. Uh, yes, the tax could be reduced, but that doesn't mean the price of gas must be reduced and stay at that level. I was driving into work this morning and Capital Public Radio highlighted a Gas Buddy report that the price of gas in the Sacramento region just went up 10 cents in the last two weeks. None of that money is tax related. None of that money is going to fix our transportation infrastructure. The price of gas has more to do with market forces far beyond uh, control of the state of California uh, than anything else. And so uh, I don't think Prop 6 guarantees uh, lower gas prices. We've seen high swings uh, up and down over the years, and I think that's a trend we'll continue to see um, regardless of, of SB1. David. You know, I'd largely agree with that. I mean, I think OPEC and you know, the absurd summer versus winter blend of the type of fuel that we have that no other state in the 50 states have. No other state has two different blends of gasoline. You know, it's those types of things that drive up the cost of fuel. It's cap and trade with a 72 cent per gallon increase in the price of fuel that was passed last year that impacts that too. It's the low carbon fuel standard, talking about cleaning up gas at the pump that adds 10 to 12 cents to the price of a gallon of gas that has a lot to do with it too. There are a ton of regulatory factors um, that increase the price of gas. So yeah, can you guarantee that prices are going to go down 12 cents if, S if Prop 6 passes? No, but pretty clearly if you reduce the price of gas um, and lower the tax, basic economics tells you that in an effort to be competitive, refineries um, and service stations are going to want to lower that price as well. So, I have a question about that. I, I guess I, I keep... Um, Listening to Jerry Brown talking about recession is coming, recession is coming, you know, obviously the stock market uh, is going down, so there's some uncertainty and that may translate into how much we uh, put into our car, how much we drive. I was just wondering if the uh, current, um, the current, how it stands now with the gas tax, does that take into account, you know, uh, fluctuating uh, gasoline prices, how much people put into their tank, and also for uh, Prop 6 proponents, is there thought about, if there is a recession, how that would affect, uh, you know, how much we drive and therefore transportation funding. So just concerned about if there's a recession or when it hits, how that would affect uh, whether, you know, whether proper 6 passes or not, um, transportation funding. David. Yeah, and I mean, in my mind, the answer is no. I mean, unlike the minimum wage, you know, which was approved by the legislature two years ago, there's the ability to suspend it in the middle of an economic downturn. And, you know, that doesn't exist with SB1. It is, like I said, 12 cents a gallon, increasing to 17 cents a gallon next year, adjusted for inflation every year thereafter. Um, and listen, the number of miles driven in the state of California is declining each and every year. Cars are getting more efficient. And that's where, you know, the $100 alternative energy tax part of this is probably the one piece, at least for us, that makes the most sense. 
Um, and I, I'd agree with Kian on that because those people need a, a stake and a share in what's going on too in exchange for wear and tear on our roads. But we're getting a declining revenue source out of the gas tax anyway. Continuing to increase it without sort of a recessionary drop-off um, is not going to bring in more revenue. And again, it's just going to continue to exacerbate poverty levels and um, you know, the fact that millions of Californians right now do have a really hard time getting by. Kiana. Uh, thank you. So let's touch on this uh, additional gas tax. David keeps mentioning that it's going to go to 17 cents under SB1 because I think this is important. And he's right. This is this convoluted thing the legislature did in 2010, and I'll try to be as succinct as possible, but talking about this for the past eight years has not made me any more successful. We had a sales tax on all taxable goods, including gasoline, and we've had that for I don't know how many decades. And in the late 1990s, early 2000s, and in fact in 2003, voters took action to do this via Prop 42, the state legislature took sales tax revenue from gasoline away from the general fund and dedicated it to transportation. In my opinion, that is the general fund contribution to transportation. Even though the sales tax no longer exists, that's still re uh, on gasoline, that still represents a multi-billion dollar loss to the general fund since 2003. We replaced it with this super clunky, annually adjusted for revenue neutrality price-based excise tax. They want a per gallon tax to act like a sales tax. And so they have to do this adjustment to make sure it was revenue neutral. Even in spite of SB1, if SB1 was never passed, that, because the price of gas continues to rise, tax was going to rise anyways. So to be clear, while SB1 resets that rate at its historic average starting next year, 17.3 cents, that would have occurred outside of SB1 anyways. And there is an argument to be made that it may even be a tax cut in some years when gas prices are very high. In 2013 or 14, when gas prices were through the roof, hitting almost five bucks a gallon, that uh, tax increment was 21.5 cents. So this is a permanent resetting at its sort of historic average. So super complicated. I don't think it has anything to do with SB1 and don't necessarily look at those two tax increments as the same thing. So that's my perspective on that. Uh, to uh, the question about recession, I would argue that when we have hit recessions in the past, uh, the federal government and state governments invest in infrastructure. And from my perspective, SB1 is a jobs bill in addition to many other things. And we uh, had an economic analysis by a federal uh, research bureau done to understand just the magnitude of jobs created through SB1, and they found it was 68,000 jobs. So in the face of a recession, maybe investing in our infrastructure and creating good-paying jobs is just a thing we need to keep California on track. That just brought to mind a question I, I had uh, about how when Trump was elected, you know, trans infrastructure was a big deal. And I, I noticed, um, tying into a question I have later on about uh, some people saying why propositions should pass, Proposition 6 should pass, uh, the feds should help us pay for uh, uh, infrastructure. 
so I'm wondering, is that is that viable? Because I, I haven't really been following the, the federal line on transportation infrastructure, how much they're going to do or what they promised states in California. But how, what should they be doing? What are they doing, uh, the, the feds role in improving our infrastructure? Kiana, do you want to start? Yes. Um, the federal government is in a very similar situation as the state of California was, and I think 21 other states across the nation that have increased taxes or fees for transportation in the last uh, handful of years. They have not raised the federal gas tax since 1993, and they are suffering from the same sort of inflationary fuel efficiency um, decreases in the purchasing power of that. And so it was interesting, while at the same time, uh, certain uh, Republican members of Congress were helping to qualify Proposition 6 in California, including a couple of members that don't even live in California, which is something that uh, gets at me a little bit. Um, the federal government, the Trump administration, was proposing a gas tax increase to, uh, to bring solvency to the highway trust fund. So I think that um, the real cause of these funding crises are inflation, not keeping up um, you know, year over year. I would argue the opposite of what David argued, that an inflationary adjustment is a good thing to not require us to have to do these larger increases every 20 years. Um, and so I think uh, governments, uh, across the state and or across the nation and the federal government are having to face those same challenges. David. If the money was spent effectively, you wouldn't have to do the increases. You can't separate the 12 cent per gallon gas tax increase with the bumping it up to 17 cents next year with the gas tax swap. You can't separate it because it's an increase ultimately in the price of gas. You, 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 you just, you can't separate those numbers. And again, it comes back to priorities. A record $130 billion general fund budget was signed by the state legislature in June with a $9 billion surplus. By now, it's probably 10 or $11 billion. There, we are awash in money. We're not in a recession right now. We have $14 billion in a rainy day fund. There's plenty of money out there right now to manage infrastructure appropriately if it had been done 10 years ago. But what was the legislature doing 10 years ago? They were diverting truck weight fees and they were beginning to spend millions of dollars a day on high-speed rail. The issue is not inflation and we need to increase gas taxes to keep pace with this and that. We need to prioritize the money that we have, whether it's cap and trade dollars or truck weight fees or the general fund or repealing high-speed rail. There's plenty of money out there, but it's been prioritized all wrong. If the legislature can in increase spending by $40 billion in the last six years and then cry poverty that there's not enough money to repair our roads, which again, I will say again, need to be repaired. $58 billion road maintenance backlog is absolutely legitimate. Don't have an issue with that figure. Don't have an issue with it at all, but have an issue of where has the money been going for the last 10 years. We need to have one more audience question at the mic and I will incentivize one of you to go up there and ask, you will get a free beer or a free glass of wine uh, 
if you do. While you are debating what question you're going to ask, I'm going to ask, uh, start with you, David. What if Prop 6 passes and the gas tax is repealed? Then what? How does that affect California transportation? What uh, should the state legislature do uh, if that gas tax is repealed? What, what, what would be the outcome that you see happening, or ideally happening, if Prop 6 passes? So, and Vanessa, just a couple of points here real quick. I mean, number one, it's, and, and I'll come back to that word priority again, it will be up to 120 legislators duly elected by the citizens of California um, to figure out how to prioritize a record $130 billion budget cap and trade funds and all sorts of revenue in a way to provide transportation infrastructure. And it's going to take some time, and it's going to take some energy, and it's going to take some diligence, but it's up to them. And you know what? The legislature, after doing all those reforms that I talked about, tens of billions of dollars of reform, they may come back if Prop 6 passes and decide gas and car taxes are still necessary. And you know what? That's fine. Under Prop 6, remember, any future gas and car taxes need to go on the ballot for voters to approve. So if the legislature makes necessary reforms and still think taxes are necessary, they can go ahead and pass a measure with a two-thirds vote and put it back on the ballot, and we can have this debate again in two years. Maybe we'll need to, you know, but, but again, it comes down to priorities, and I think if the legislature decides to prioritize this funding in a way that's appropriate, I think voters will probably respond to that fairly favorably, but it hasn't happened yet. And, you know, let me just say in closing, since I don't know how many more bites I'm going to get at the microphone, um, the audits and accountability side of this. SB1 did establish the Independent Office of Audits and Investigations, and Kiana mentioned that. But Caltrans already has, ladies and gentlemen, that office in place. All SB1 did was rename the office. So to the fact that there's audits and accountability involved in SB1 that was different than what existed for decades before, part of me just really doesn't buy that. You know, I wanted, and I'll, I'll go ask you, Kiana, for your reply to that, but I was wondering, um, in terms of prioritization, I don't know if Howard Jarvis has a stand or suggestions or recommendations, but are there any suggestions or recommendations you have for prioritizing? I mean, I think you mentioned high-speed rail is, you know, it's just not... Um, a feasible thing to spend money on. Are there things that you'd rather the legislature focus on this aspect of transportation and less on this aspect of the transportation? Or, you know, is there any official stance on the prioritization? I mean, within, within transportation, no, I mean, there are things that can be done. Um, you know, we can work on potentially privatizing Caltrans engineers. We can remove project labor agreements, which drive up the costs of repairing roads. Um, there are definitely reforms that can be done to be more cost effective in repairing and maintaining our roads um, that could save millions of dollars. And those are reforms that I think we'd all like to see. I think Keanu would probably like to see those too, quite frankly. But again, beyond that, when you're talking about high-speed rail, when you're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars of cap-and-trade funds, when you're talking about truck weight fees, billions of dollars repairs a lot of roads. Let's start there. Let's make some reforms to Caltrans. Let's have a decent, effective audit process, and let's see where we are. And then again, if the legislature wants to come back and approve additional gas and car taxes, they can do that, and voters will once again be able to have a say at the ballot box. But, you know, and 
voting yes on six brings us to that point and brings us to that question of prioritization. So yes, so Kiana, your response, if, if Prop 6 passes, what does that mean? How does that affect uh, transportation, spending, prioritization? Well, I'm going to paint a much bleaker picture than David did. But I'd like to address a few things that he's brought up before I get to what I think the future of transportation looks like under a Prop 6 scenario. Um, the debate that David wants, in my opinion, already occurred. Again, I mentioned Senator Bell's SB 16 introduced in 2015. Various bills introduced into the State House from both Republicans and Democrats. A robust debate over three years that culminated in the bipartisan two-thirds passage of SB 1 in 2017. So from my perspective, the debate was had, and this is how the legislature chose to weigh in. They considered uh, taking money from other programs for transportation, but in their wisdom, or not, depending on your perspective, this is how they chose to address transportation infrastructure. Transportation, since the early 1900s, has always been supported by user fees pay to use the system, just like we pay our utility bill every month to turn the lights on or to turn the tap on in the morning to get water. Um, say we did, though, eliminate high-speed rail, dedicate some money from cap and trade. Would that solve the problem? And from my perspective, the answer is no. The, the combined shortfall on the state highways and local roads is $130 billion. $59 billion is just one piece of that. SB1 is over $5 billion a year. Over 10 years, that's $50 billion. That's a pretty substantial chunk of money going towards this problem. There is approximately $5 billion left in the high-speed rail bond. That's the only funding um, that goes to high-speed rail that would potentially be eligible to go to transportation. It would take a vote of the people to repurpose that bond. So if they did, there's $5 billion. Um, wait fees. I don't like the wait fees going to pay transportation bond debt service any more than David does. Uh, I have a difference of opinion on how transportation fared because of that, uh, but that's only a billion dollars a year. So you add these solutions up and they only get to a very small amount compared to SB1. The, the surplus, I, I wanna see some of the surplus go to infrastructure too, but I wanna see it on top of SB1 because I just don't think enough one-time money or repurposing other things gets you to the 50 billion over 10 years. That's really critical to see um, improvements in the system. Did you want to interrupt with a question, or I could go back then to what I think Prop 6 looks like? No, I think it was the uh, the the wait fees. Maybe a little clarification. I think for those of us who uh, <laughs> don't know don't know exactly yeah. what that entails. All right, this is something I still haven't gotten better at since 2011. So many complications. Okay. Complicated. In 2010, we replaced the sales tax with that wonky price-based uh, increment of gas tax and um, dedicated it to the same purposes and it's revenue neutral. The sales tax, some of the sales tax pre-tax swap had gone to bond debt service. Bond debts before high-speed rail was even a reality. It was paying bonds from the 90s. So the deal the legislature struck in the tax swap was that they would continue to receive a portion of the replacement sales tax for bond debt service, right? Everyone remains whole. We changed the color of the tax, but everyone got the exact same thing they were previously getting. Uh, 
And then in uh, 2010, a few months after we passed the tax swap, voters passed Prop 22 that said you can't use gas tax for bond debt service for those purposes. So in order to keep the deal together, they came up with this sort of triple flip, as I have sort of come to see it. They would dedicate wait fees from the state highway account to bond debt service, but then take the increment that was going to bond debt service from the tax and make the state highway account whole. So yeah, no wonder, I understand why some people don't under, you know, trust government and understand what's going on, but at the end of the day, everyone walked away, cities and counties, we got the same money we got under Prop 42. The state got the same money it got under Prop 42. Do I want the wait fees back for transportation? Heck yeah. Uh, but ultimately, it's not, I don't think, the root cause of, of the problem we're at today. Okay, so this is um, going back to one of my opening statements. We do this needs assessment every two years. And we just released the 2018 report last week. And it said, in past reports, we had to look at hypothetical funding situations. How good would the roads be if we had this much money? Lo and behold, we have more revenue now. We got to look at what SB1 would help us achieve. And the report's key takeaways was that we would reduce the funding shortfall on the local level by $18.4 billion over the next 10 years, and we would be able to bring two-thirds of the local street and road system into a good condition, right? That sort of wonky scale of failed, poor, at-risk, good. So that is a, it's a significant improvement in terms of the condition of our pavement. If Prop 6 passes, if, if SB1 goes away, the backlog will grow by at least $12.2 billion. So that just means we're gonna have to fix this problem and it's gonna cost, and, and this is over a 10-year horizon, let me make sure that's clear. Over 10 years, the problem grows by $12.2 billion and we have almost 30% of roads fall into a failed condition. And I'm talking failed, like you might as well turn them into gravel um, because they're, to, to redo that road would be 14 times more expensive than it is to maintain it. Bridges that need to be replaced and repaired will not get replaced and repaired. Roads that need to be resurfaced and kept up, they'll have to get in a long, long line for funding. New bike lanes, improved um, sidewalks, those are gonna fall to the back of the line too because those aren't necessarily mission critical in our car-centric community. Culture, so um, I think the problem exists, it gets worse, and that's uh, the reality of Proposition 6 for me. And then for David, I mean, so uh, Kiana's saying if Prop 6 passes, this is what would happen. So for you, my question would be, what if Proposition 6 doesn't ha pass? What would happen, uh, it, it, for better or for worse, you think, if it doesn't pass? If Proposition 6 doesn't pass, regressive car and gas taxes on every single Californian, regardless of income, including the 20% of the state that's at or below the poverty line, will continue. These are not just impacting individuals that live in Marin County, where I'm from originally, who make $150,000 a year. This impacts every single Californian to the tune of four to $500 a year. And that's owning an average car and two cars. That's what happens ultimately if Proposition 6 fails. 
It's a tax that the average Californian simply can't afford. And yeah, do our roads need to be repaired and maintained? Of course they do. Again, I don't argue that at all. And I haven't argued it during my entire evening here. But if we had started doing this 10 years ago, 15 years ago, we wouldn't have the same problems that we're having today. We would have seen a decline in the road maintenance backlog that exists. It is time to hold politicians accountable for their lack of action over 10 or 15 years. I mean, you hear the words triple flip, and Keon actually did a really good job describing what the triple flip was. But the minute you say triple flip, you think to yourself, what in the world is the legislature doing? No wonder I don't understand what they're doing, and no wonder my taxes are going up. Listen, why didn't Governor Brown put this on the ballot, like his pledge said in 2010 when he ran for governor? Why didn't he put it on the ballot? He didn't put it on the ballot because he knew the gas and car tax increase would fail. And we hope it does fail, and we hope Prop 6 passes, and a yes vote would ensure that that happens. All right, we have a question of the mic. Hi, uh, my name is Jennifer Terlink, and I am going to ask kind of a bigger picture question. Um, so when we think about things like climate change and we think about things like the impacts of our daily lives on that, um, I hear from SB1 um, incentives and funds available for um, active transportation and advocating for people getting, changing their daily lives in a way that ultimately reduces their carbon footprint. And so my first question is, um, does uh, Prop 6 have anything to say to that? Um, and secondly, from, oh, I totally forgot my train of thought. Um, go ahead with that and I'll, I'll follow up potentially. So yes, does Prop 6 address anything about uh, carbon emissions, climate change? And active transportations, because we really should advocate for people getting to work on their daily basis by bike or public transit. David. Sure, no, and I, and I completely agree with that and thanks for the question. Um, does Prop 6 address that per se? No, there's a replacement initiative for Prop 6 that's out there that would partially address that. But let me come back to, again, the other, um, the other impacts to climate and costs. You know, you do have cap-and-trade out there where refineries are getting hit um, as a part of this cap-and-trade auction process. 72 cents per gallon increase in the price of fuel by 2030. 10 cent per gallon low carbon fuel standard increase. There's going to be plenty of money um, from motorists going to transit, going to these other services. Um, and I guess, I guess what's unfortunate for me when I look at especially transit, transit ridership, especially in our big metropolitan cities, has been declining and declining pretty precipitously. And I think when we look at autonomous vehicles, when we look at some of the advancements made in transportation, when we look at alternative energy vehicles, I think this problem is slowly beginning to fix itself. Um, you know, when you look at AVs and Uber and Lyft and, you know, a lot of the other ride-sharing aspects that are going on here in the state. And I don't think a 12 cent or a 17 cent per gallon gas tax increase is going to measurably affect the technology changes that are already starting. Kiana. I think Prop 6 is an attack on funding there to support active transportation. So I think Prop 6 has everything to do with it, and I think it repeals the very funding uh, for the types of projects that 
you're hoping to see in your community? I remembered my second question, uh, and it's really simple. It might be pretty obvious to many, but um, you mentioned many times, David, uh, cap-and-trade funding going towards um, filling in the gap. And so maybe you could speak a little bit to why and how cap-and-trade would, because my understanding of cap-and-trade is that it is um, intended to support funding that reduces carbon emissions. Primarily, you know, and again, thank you for the question. I mean, I think it does, for those that don't understand what cap and trade is, cap and trade was approved by the legislature last year. And what that does is, uh, well, actually, ultimately, it was approved 10 years ago, but it was updated and extended and enhanced last year, thank you, um, by uh, AB 398. So, what cap and trade does is it targets 300 polluting industries roughly in California, um, you know, that pollute ours, and that, that, that includes refineries and dry cleaners and cement makers and other industries. And so as those industries pollute, they buy and sell credits with others of those 300 industries that pollute less. So there's an auction system that's put in place, and credits are bought and sold. And in the case of refineries, those credits are going to be passed on to consumers at the pump, again, as high as 72 cents per gallon, totally separate from SB1 by the year 2030. And yes, a lot of that money is going to go to lower carbon emissions. A lot of the money is going to wildfire prevention and relief, which obviously spews a lot of carbon into the air. But there are elements where cap and trade funds are going to go to the very active transportation things that you cite. So if, again, if SB1 goes away, there's still going to be money there for those things and for transit. Kiana. There is money from cap and trade going to GHG reducing transportation projects now, primarily transit, and a smattering, I think, of active transportation projects when they're in conjunction with affordable housing project. CSAC was part of an organization that when cap and trade first got off the ground, did try to make the argument, cars that drive on smoother roads emit less air pollution and GHGs. And it's true, but in the relative scheme of the emissions you can reduce, it kind of fell lower on the pecking order of some of these other things. So from my perspective as a transportation advocate, of course I want to see more cap and trade going to transportation. 40% of all emissions come from the transportation sector. But I do think um, cap and trade is contributing to transit and other appropriate active transportation projects uh, when possible, uh, but it's sort of a balancing act in order to make sure we meet the um, intention of the law, which is to reduce the most GHG emissions per every dollar available. Um, David did this earlier, so now I'm gonna capitalize too. I have the mic and I forgot, one thing I wanted to say that David brought up was plan B. A couple of weeks ago, the proponents of Proposition 6 unveiled what they call their plan B. An initiative in two years time that they would have to spend one to two million dollars to qualify for the ballot, so that's not even a guarantee that this plan B becomes a reality, that really only seeks to take money from other places. You asked where they would prioritize getting more revenue from transportation, and this plan laid out those priorities. For instance, and I find this, this plan B um, to be pretty scary, almost more scary than Proposition 6, especially representing county government. 
For instance, they talk about diverting the sales tax from the sale of cars at the local level to transportation. Those sales tax dollars currently support local public safety and health and human service programs. So it would take money from local police and fire and other programs like foster care and some of these really important um, you know, health and human service programs to transportation. What are, how are we gonna fund those, pro how are we gonna fund those programs at the local level? I also think it's kind of funny that they would take money from the local level and give it back to the state to fund transportation. So uh, plan B all sounds good in theory until you sort of start digging in uh, to the details and I think really it's not a true solution. It would just take money from one pot and dedicate it to another. David, did you want to comment on that quickly? Because I guess if we're running out of time. No, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, again, to the extent there's a dedicated source of revenue put in place regarding the sale of new and used cars and that sales tax money going to um, replacing SP1, I think that's a good thing. That's Those are the sort of dedicated revenue sources that are consistent, that are going to be there, um, you know, should Prop 6 pass, that are going to make it successful. And again... Um, the replacement initiative hasn't qualified for the ballot. Um, you know, Mr. DeMaio very easily raised over a million signatures to get Prop 6 on the ballot, so I have no doubt he can get another measure on the ballot. But there's a lot of changes that can happen between now and then. Howard Jarvis hasn't taken a position on the new initiative. We won't until measures qualify for the ballot. And I think there's a lot more discussion to be had. But I think, again, it's the replacement initiative strikes at the key thrust of this debate, which is prioritization. Plenty of money there with existing revenues to repair and maintain our roads. If we had started 10 years ago, we wouldn't have the problems we have now. We might as well start now. And I'll just close by saying um, Prop 6 is supported by dozens of local taxpayer groups, uh, the National Federation of Independent Business, the largest small business association in the state of California, the California Farm Bureau, the largest agriculture association in, in the state, and also obviously supported by the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association. So again, with that, I would just encourage a yes vote on Prop 6. All right, so I have one last question, and uh, we'll make it very quick because time is, is um, for the podcast is pressing. But uh, obviously between now and 2020, we have a new governor coming in. We have a new legislative session starting in January. So whether or not Proposition 6 passes or not, I, I always ask this question because it seems like a lot of the propositions that we've been discussing so far have come because of frustration uh, with how the legislature is doing things or in an action, and so that's why many of these ballot initiatives are, are coming up. So whether or not Prop 6 passes to the new governor, to the new legislative session, what would you ask them to do or consider going forward when they start when it comes to um, fixing, repairing transportation infrastructure and uh, coming up with the funding to do it? Uh, let's start with you, Kiana, and end with you, David, last word. I've been thinking on this question since you shared a preview with us of what sort of uh, things we were going to talk about tonight. And it's very difficult for me to answer that question regardless of what happens with the outcome of Prop 6 because those are going to be remarkably different answers depending on the outcome. Um, I was sort of trying to look at it um, 
from my optimistic perspective that Prop 6 fails, that everyone votes no on Prop 6, and that we can start to focus on other transportation issues that I think are very relevant uh, and on my mind. Um, I agree with David, efficiencies, we can all do things more efficient uh, at every level of government. Um, I'm um, considering sponsoring some legislation next year that would try to minimize the federal footprint on certain projects, allowing more money for more projects to get done. I think there is a lot to be done in that world, and when you have a funding stream that's dedicated and protected, then you can start to talk about those things. Uh, technology, you mentioned autonomous vehicles. I actually see autonomous vehicles changing the tide with respect to VMT. And unless those autonomous vehicles are actually also electric vehicles, it could have some pretty significant implications uh, for our climate change battles, but also just traffic. There was a scenario played out for me by one of the experts on autonomous vehicles of just these empty cars just driving in circles, right? So it's like, I don't know if that's a better scenario than we're working on now. And that is going to take some time to figure out. So I want us to set, set SB1 aside, keep going, and work on some of these other issues. Um, and so that would be my hope for our um, next legislature and governor. And David, you can wrap it up for us. If Proposition 6 passes, what do I tell the next governor? What do I tell the next legislature? Simple. Um, divert truck weight fees. Repeal high-speed rail take hundreds of millions of dollars of cap-and-trade funds and repair and maintain our roads. All of those things the legislature can do with simple votes. Even repealing high-speed rail could potentially be done without a vote of the people if it's, if it's done correctly. So all that to say, there's, there's plenty of things that can be done that the legislature can do. And again, if they do all those things, and come back in two years and still decide they need gas and car taxes in 2020, Prop 6, by passing Prop 6, you say those future gas and car taxes need to go before voters to be approved. So let's put the onus back on the legislature to solve a problem that they created through their lack of priority and lack of responsibility. And if they decide they want to put more taxes on you in 2020, at least thanks to Prop 6, you'll have an opportunity to vote on those. But in the meantime, yes, I'm Prop 6. All right, it'll be interesting to see what the outcome is on November 6. But thank you uh, both, Kiana and David, for coming and talking about, you know, a, a complicated topic, but obviously a very important and relevant one. So I uh, appreciate your time. Thank you very much. And thank you out there for listening. Thanks for coming. You've been listening to California Groundbreakers. Tonight's Policy in a Pint conversation was held on October 15th 2018 at Antiquity Midtown in Sacramento. Many thanks to our panelists, Kiana Valentine and David Wolf, for joining us. Thanks to Sharon Wilson and Marcy Hose, owners of Antiquity Midtown, for hosting us. Thanks also to Rodrigo Ramirez and Caleb Clark for helping put on this event. And of course, thanks to you for listening. Find out when our next event is by going to our website, californiagroundbreakers.org.